Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. You best start believing in ghost stories. You're in one. There are no survivors. There are no survivors. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder, damn damn it woman, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films, and yes, the expanded universe we dabble in history, stress the euphemisms, and strive to have a hell of a good swashbuckler time each and every damn week. Or at least we try. Hey, we've been on a roll, a four episode roll. It's a movies by minute podcast where we break down each and every single minute of the films in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. I'm Scott Artist from ScottArtist.com. And I'm Heather Artist from BlackPearlShow.com. Thanks for joining us today for, you know, uh, episode 113 of season two, Marauding Minutes 126 and 127 of Dead Man's Chest. Four weeks in a row. That's like a month. <laughs> it's like a month. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. Pretty soon we'll be ready for a hiatus. <laughs> Coming back, 2021. <laughs> but I'm... Officially calling out the Mouse House rumor fleet here to say... Scott fell for fake news? I didn't... How dare you? Arr! I didn't fall for fake news, but I want to know what the hell is wrong with everybody out there. Not people, but these websites that supposedly report news. Because I was starting to think something was actually moving. And maybe it is. I mean, it's possible. 2% possible. But you'll find that out in a second. Because as I was scrolling through the latest Pirates of the Caribbean news today... I saw a number of questionably authentic websites reporting that Depp was officially back. Not even the may be back like that was happening last week, okay? It's, oh, he's confirmed. And I thought, oh, wow, that's really good to report. This stuff's moving quick. And then I started to actually look at the websites that were reporting this. And it's like union journalism. And I'm like, that sounds like you're trying to be a news source, but you're not. And then it's reporting stuff like, Depp was officially back and confirmed. There was a 2021 set date. And not only that, but Orlando Bloom, Karen Knightley, Kevin McNally, and whoever else from the original cast, along with Brenton Thwaites and Kaya Scoladario, or however you pronounce her name, they're all confirmed. Those are the, you know, Karina and Henry. Everyone's coming back. So it seemed like everybody's coming back. It was like a reunion. TV show reunion, pirate bringing back everybody. Pirate, pirate back. reunion. And that's when I got skeptical. Because a couple of websites posing as real journalistic kind of websites offering up this news just over the weekend. I'm thinking, okay, clickbait here. This is pure clickbait. And it's not that the previous stuff was clickbait, but I mean, it all is clickbait if you really want to get into it. But... They were actually, it's like Daily Mail and some of these actually somewhat reputable sites that actually report news. But, but who knows, okay? And so I did a little more digging and I'm going to play a clip from the John Campia show. And he just so happens to be addressing this very topic recently. So I'm going to roll it and then we'll go from there. When you look at all of the sites reporting that Disney is considering bringing back Johnny Depp, and you start reading them, you realize they're all quoting the same place. So the one place that this story actually got its start from, this is the originating site for this story, is We Got This Covered. Now, for those of you who do not know, We Got This Covered is, I think, statistically it's fair to say, they are the worst site on the net for starting fake rumors. Uh, There was actually a study done not too long ago on tracking one year's worth of scoops and breaking news that we got this covered did and they found that only two percent maybe it's like 2.3 or 2.4 but roughly two percent of the stuff they break was actually true and truth so a two percent success rate okay maybe 2.3 or whatever the hell it was okay 
in terms of reporting to reality. So 2% from here's our story breaking news to what actually transpires, 2%. I mean, perhaps I think it's probably best that I'll just wait for the news from actually Disney. Because if Pirates of the Caribbean is coming back, they will let us know. Okay, that's the breaking news that I want to hear. Somebody who's They're actually going to call doing... you personally and let you know. Yeah, they will call me really? personally. I do get some press releases, not from them, but from a site that distributes Disney and stuff like that. So I am somewhat on the media trend there. Hmm. I just don't tell you about this stuff, but it is true. But I'm going to wait for that official word as opposed to all this crazy back and forth stuff. It's just maniacal lately. And so. I'm okay with the use of the word may return, as that perhaps does have some context behind it and things. But leaping from may to confirmed, that's Kraken bait right there. I mean, well, seriously. Well, it sounds like the world wants Pirates of the Caribbean and Johnny Depp. Well, that's a good point. So if anything, it tells us there's a lot of clicks happening for Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. If there's all these sites that are popping up just to throw this stuff out there, there seems to be a demand for it. Yeah. But essentially, at the end of the update here, if I call it that, there is no update. That is the update. The update is that there is no update and maybe there was some fake news floating around. So that's from the last episode as we discussed the May aspect, but the confirmed aspect stuff that's leaking around now, no. And I was going to post that and then I started really getting skeptical. I'm like, what is going on here? That's when I did the digging. But you can check out some of the May be confirmed or may happen stuff on our Facebook listeners crew group. There you go. I don't know. Is there anything on your end? Do you have any fake news to share with anybody? Besides Scott fell for fake news? I didn't fall for fake news. You know, it's so ridiculous. I'm never going to live this down. Hey, our wine tonight doesn't come from Napa. Brought to you by, uh... Jodar. Jodar Winery. Barbera. It's a Barbera. El Dorado Hills. There you go. So Jodar will be uh, kicking down some cash for us. A treasure trove. (laughs) Of cash and sponsorship. But speaking of wine, and I'm only saying this because of wine, which leads to wine-o, which leads to Heather, because it's Pirate Word of the Week time. Ahoy there, scallywags. Pirate Word of the Week in five, four, three, two, yar. Oh, man, I forgot. I wouldn't doubt that you forgot. It's actually you're on a roll with remembering because I remember many days that you would forget Pirate Word of the Week and we'd have to skip it. Or you'd look it up last minute. While I was sitting here? Yeah. Oh, no. Pirate Word of the Week. Uh, R, matey? <laughs> Today I bring you Orlop. Orlop. Yes. Orlop. This, are you sure you're on the right podcast? That sounds more like a Lord of the Rings thing. <laughs> it does. Because of the Orlocks? Or locks. More locks, which would be a time machine reference. <laughs> oh, nothing to do with animals or creatures. Okay. Or So I don't know what the hell that is. We actually may see it in this minute. It's the lowest deck in the ship where oh, cables are stored. That's cool. Yeah. So they actually go, they move the grates, and then they go to the lower level and move more grates. Hmm. The Orlop. That's, yeah. that's a weird name. Orlop. Go to the Orlop. Yeah, it's a weird name. I don't know where that... We should have come up, like found out where that came from, what the derivation is. <laughs> and this is now, it's all coming back to me after the hiatus. Heather would bring these things to us, but never give us the derivation of where it came no. from and all that. She would just throw it out there and be like, you know, I uh, satisfied my task of having Pirate Word of the Week, so we're done. Well, I, would, I get them off like Pirate Speak website, so... Well, then... Oh, it's true, by the way. I just found it on Dictionary, so... The Orlop? Orlop deck. Well, I didn't doubt that it was fake news. It's on Wikipedia. I, I'm just... I was saying, where did it come from? That what? Why is it called the Orlop? And your basic excuse is, well, I get them off a pirate word website. Yeah. But then the... But the idea of actually having to go to another tab, open it, and type in Orlop into the internet search... That's just too much. It is. Hand me my Barbera. I need some wine. Oh, God. If I could only get my fingers to type in a little more. (laughs) Bring some information to the masses. My God. Okay, here. It originates from overlooping of the cables. Oh. Does that help you? Kind of. I can kind of see it. That's what we would need. There you go. 
I can't bring that to you every time. I'm sorry. <laughs> no it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, you're just going to drop an Orlop and leave. <laughs> Which, if you drop an Orlop, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> Talk about euphemisms. <laughs> Don't go in there. just dropped an Orlop. <laughs> in the previous minutes, a handful of long, slimy, undulating, and thrusting tentacles penetrate the surface and gently slide along the pearl's heaving hole. There's a silence in the air just before the climax of the pirates. Cannons protrude through the ports. When Elizabeth couldn't take it anymore and screams out Will's name, they let loose the iron loads. <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> I'm recapping the minute, damn it. This is what happened exactly in the last two minutes. I don't know what your problem is. When she screams out Will's name, your, your they let loose just... their iron loads, <laughs> sending the beast back into the depths, reeling from all the heat. That's what happened in the last couple wow. of minutes. Woohoo! Yeah. I'm gonna need some ice water over yeah, here. Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> but that Forget the wine, I need the ice water. <laughs> I don't see a problem with that recap, <laughs> to be honest with you. It's just what it happened. Watch the minute and have those words in your mind and the It'll be it'll mean a, it'll be a whole different meaning to <laughs> exactly. you. Exactly. Minute one twenty six begins with the crew of the Black Pearl. Celebrating the retreat of the Kraken, Will tells Elizabeth, it'll be back. We have to get off the ship. Elizabeth responds, there's no boats, as we see the destroyed longboats on the deck. Minute 127 ends with the Kraken laying waste to the Pearl and the crew. Gibbs commands the crew to heave, heave, like you're being paid for it. Now, I'm just going to say that I found irrefutable proof in minute 126 that Will is not quite pirate yet. Because he's a pirate on the outside, possibly? I mean, he's embraced a bit of the pirate code. You know, on the out, no, he's still not quite pirate on the I outside. Did, he's embraced part of the pirate code. I he's still clean shaven. Okay, well that yeah, okay. I mean, he's willing Just to flaunt. Just because his hair's okay. longer, but he's willing to flaunt the law a little bit. Okay, for his love and what is right. But let's not that let's not let that wholesomeness get in the way of being a pirate. Okay, but damn it though, here's the problem. He has yet to be ordained a pirate. He's yet to be a scallywag. Not only for the reasons we just mentioned. <laughs> because this is where I'm going with this whole thing. Because it's my solid gold proof. When Gibbs informs him that there's only six barrels of gunpowder, Will immediately tells him to load the rum, okay? There's so much to love about this scene. It's, it's really good. Yeah. Because, firstly, it shows Will's dedication to beating the Kraken and completing his mission, Okay. Yep. He's focused. This is what he wants to do. And he's definitely not a pirate. I got a job to do, and then he's not a pirate. Because secondly, it really does show us that he's yet to complete the final step to becoming that pirate. Okay? Because it's perfectly timed, though. The reaction of Gibbs and the crew, it's priceless. It's like he just ordered everyone to jump onto the actual Kraken. It's like, bite it. Well, what? <laughs> you want us to destroy the rum? Well, what? <laughs> I mean, surely you just... So when Will offers up the command, all the crew goes silent. It's the second silent, powerful scene that we've seen in the past few minutes. You know? Well, it's like Gibbs is trying to comp contemplate life without rum. That's exactly what he's doing. He's in shock. And <laughs> the crew like, doesn't move until Gibbs gives the order. What's going to happen if we don't have our rum? That's the beauty of It'll it, though, be right mutiny. there. Because <laughs> previously, the crew jumped on the commands of Will and Elizabeth. Yeah. But when it comes to exploding rum, yeah, no. it's like they're like, wait, Will said that? Uh, we better get that order from a true pirate. Somebody who knows <laughs> rum. None of this newly minted pirate people. We want full on rum drinking pirates to echo that command before we implement it. <laughs> and then when Gibbs does the command, says the command, he actually looks like he's uh, crying. Yeah. It feels like he's blaspheming the pirate code. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure he did. But the direction that makes all this come together, it's the long pause. Yeah. The long From pause. Everyone. That's what does it. Because Kevin McNally holding a pause before issuing the order to the crew not only gives us time to get like a panning shot of all these kind of solemn characters right now, these pirates standing there, but it magnifies the weight of this decision. It's excellent direction from Gore Verbinski. It's... Maybe what? it was whoa, real. Whoa. Let's not let's not be too hasty. Yeah. Let's really consider what we're doing here before we just explode rum. Yeah. That's what I really liked about it. <laughs> How will we survive without rum? 
Yeah, and I think that's kind of a running theme throughout the movies, the whole rum yeah. thing. It's like, goes back to Curse of the Black Pearl on Rum Runner's Isle when Elizabeth burns the rum to create a signal fire. It's like, and then John, what in the hell are you doing here? Then when she joined the ship in this season, or this uh, movie, he says, hide the rum. Exactly. In all this talk of explosion, though, I was I was actually watching as they're loading the rum. Okay, not so much the rum at first, but they, they do show some of the loading of the gunpowder. And they're heaving these gunpowder kegs. Like they're nothing? Just right over the edge to these guys down there. Oh, it's so- And it's like, are you kidding me? You just threw a like a, a pony keg at this guy. Yeah. This guy's trying to catch it. They're bouncing off of him. It's like, what the hell? And I thought... Should you really be throwing powder kegs at people? And I was thinking that same thing. I mean, it's probably okay in the barrels, but how many of these guys now have hurt backs? That's what I <laughs> want to know. And the powder keg was so the idea is is that the powder keg was his primary method for storing and even moving large quantities of black powder back in the day. And it actually happened up until the 1870s they would store this stuff in these kegs. But The barrels had to really be handled with care, which we're not really seeing here, (laughs) since a spark or other source of heat could cause the contents to explode, which is kind of where we're at because this is Will's plan to have Elizabeth shoot the kegs. And, you know, he hands her the gun and says, you know, don't miss. She has to get all lovey-dovey and says, oh, not until you clear the area, kind of. Not until you're out of the way. Not until you're clear. Whatever the hell she says. (laughs) Not until you're clear. There you go. But in practical use... These things were kind of small casks uh, to limit damage from accidental explosions, which is good. Because often kegs used strappings of reed or even sapling wood rather than metal bands to avoid sparks. It's oh, like, really? let's get metal out of this thing. Yeah. And then apparently the English had five different size kegs that they used in the first half of the 1700s. Say from 1700 to 1750 or so. After which the number jumps to seven. So they had all these different sizes, which I thought was pretty cool. And the smallest, as I mentioned earlier, kind of pony keg style, which we're maybe seeing here, is three arrow hashes inside a bullseye pattern to indicate that it was extra fine grade priming powder. Oh, really? And then powder, well, this powder, this like priming powder, would be poured into hollow goose quills, which were then inserted into the torch hole as a fuse. So it's like, you know, lighten it up. The whole idea was that it was based on grain size of the powder. And so the largest being the size of a hogshead. And I think we talked about barrels in different sizes before, but this one maybe is like a wine barrel type size, okay? And that one would contain grains the size of marbles. Oh, really? Yeah, that's some big gunpowder. Yeah. Marble gunpowder size. I'd like to have some of that. I don't know what I'd do with it. what? Explosions or something. I don't know. But since I was on this whole powder keg topic, and this all kind of spun off of rum and throwing powder kegs around and all this, this is just deep diving stuff. I came across this interesting example of a ship explosion that I thought, hey, who out there doesn't want to hear about a ship explosion? And I thought everybody does. We all want to hear about an exploding ship. Pretty much. And then I thought, well, I want to hear about it again. And so I'm going to bring it to you whether you guys like it or not. So now you're going to have to sit through it. This little known light and gunpowder incident that happened, okay? It was... And I say incident, but let's call it a disaster. Let's call it what it really was. It was this event in which a ship carrying hundreds of barrels of black powder exploded in the town of Leiden in the Netherlands on January 12th, 1807. It actually exploded in town, not out in the middle of the ocean? out in the ocean, by the ocean, by port, okay, let's just call it that. Somewhere around that neighborhood. Okay. It was about 4.15 p.m. The Delft's Welveren exploded. One eyewitness, a canal dredger who was located about 330 feet away from the ship when it detonated, noted that he had seen a single smaller explosion lift up the ship's mast and send hatches flying. This was followed by a second kind of later massive explosion that disintegrated the vessel. Wow. Obliterated it. And the force was so powerful that the explosion destroyed many structures. Actually, over 200 structures were destroyed and 151 people were killed. All of the tall structures in town were damaged and thousands of windows were shattered. In the days after the disaster, eyewitnesses reported streets filled with broken glass and shingles. Jeez. Yeah, the Dell's Welveren was completely destroyed by the explosion. And here's the crazy part. 
Okay, it's. I mean, maybe it's more crazy besides the town's destruction because a, a ship exploding out by the port right out there is pretty crazy, but destroying the town is crazy. So this would be crazier. This is like triple crazy. This is crazy cubed. Is that parts of the ship were actually recovered and the ship's anchor was found almost 3,000 feet over half a mile away from the detonation point. Wow. It launched the anchor... You've seen these anchors. Yeah, these things they're are huge. huge. Yeah. Launched at 3,000 feet. That's crazy. And then they also found the large that counterbalance. That is crazy Thank you. Found the large counterbalance, which was 1,000 feet away. Wow. That is insane. I mean, that's a big explosion. That's a mega explosion, as I would call it. A mega explosion. Mega explosion. Yeah. But that's pretty powerful. And I'm thinking that, okay, they had more than six kegs aboard as whatever that unnamed sailor is able to say. We only have short stock, six powder kegs, or whatever the hell it is. Six barrels. I got it. I got the quote now. Do you? Yeah. Do you really? Yeah, I got it. We are short stocked of gunpow- on gunpowder. Six barrels. There you go. But he kind of says it with a French accent. Yeah. I, I can't do French. Sorry. So in my... <laughs> so, But you can do pirate. In my notes, I basically had things arranged in two groups. And this is when I first started, because then it kind of expanded out that. But I had the rum, is how I called it, and the coward. Those are kind of the two, like, okay. bullet points that I had. The rum and the coward. So then, we already did the rum? Yeah, we kind of did the rum, unless you want to talk more uh, about rum. That's okay. But I was kind of the coward section, though, and I started to think, I wonder if it should have been more like the brave and the coward. Because it wasn't just about the rum. I mean, they're brave because they're giving up their rum. Maybe. Or crazy. If you want to go crazy cubed again. Because on the one hand, we have the crew pulling together to defeat the Kraken, right? That's because they have no way out. Well, I know. So they got to do something. And they're throwing everything into this plan. Yeah. Even the precious rum, which we talked about, if you don't recall, two seconds ago. And then we also talked about the importance of rum on ships before. But this bravery kind of is highlighted by Sparrow's cowardice. That's the whole dichotomy of all this it's like that saying from painter bob ross you can't have light without the dark except he says it more friendly than i do yeah that sounded not friendly no that was not bob ross by the way can you can you make that more friendly like to say goodbye to my little (laughs) friends you can't have light without the dark that's that's what it is but it's about survival tactics here right because that's what it is Because there's that animal, like, survival instinct option thing, you know, fear response. It's fight or flight, you know? And we have the Black Pearl crew engaging in kind of the fight option. Jack, uh, he's going to edge towards the flight option. Well, my idea with Jack taking off, he knows the Kraken's after him. So maybe he was pulling the Kraken, trying to pull the Kraken away from the Black Pearl and the Black Pearl's crew. Is that what you, do you really think that? No. I just thought this sounded Man, that would have been a good discussion if you'd really believed okay, that. Okay, I believe it. No, you don't believe it. Now it's all fake. It's fake Heather news. It's a, it's a different take on it, though. That is a different take. I hadn't thought about that. Because he knows the Kraken's after him. Now, if Jack really was doing that because the Kraken's after him and not after the rest of the crew, Jack would have a different look on his face than That's, he actually there does. You go. Yeah, he's freaking taking the last longboat to escape yeah, and leaving doom, everyone else... But that is an interesting tack kind of perspective, if you want to call it that, right. to look at. Which, yeah, I think that is. But I think if we all know Jack's character, it's not just like a character choice here. Because it's the ramifications it has on the rest of the crew. Specifically Elizabeth Swan. Because throughout the entire movie thus far, there's been this flirtatious play between Jack and Miss Swan. It's kind of an animalistic attraction. That keeps popping up and throwing off viewers and, and even Will, right? Right, there's, just, yeah. there's been this whole play between them. Even they didn't even know. Even they were wondering, do I really like him or her? And the compass, is it really pointing to Jack or is the it just... love having... is all in question here. Yeah, so it's all of that, right? We, we've talked about all this. It's like it's... a three-way. <laughs> a menage a pirate. And then in the last minute, you have Gibbs hugging Elizabeth. I don't know what's going on anymore. Yeah, and then Gibbs... Getting caught up on Jack's sword. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff going on here. And then the Kraken with its arms and tentacles. Anyways, <laughs> this is 
Now, now you've completely thrown us off. We were talking serious stuff, and you had to bring up the Menage a Pirate. But this is where I say the Elizabeth questions her affection for Jack dies. So, yeah, I mean, she's calling pop him a slimy git. <laughs> but, well, basically, yeah, because from like her character perspective. She's done with it. I mean, or okay, maybe the view and hers and the viewer. This is done. It's dead. D E D dead. Well, she's lost all that. respect for him at this point in time. Did people get the D E D dead reference somewhere out there? I don't remember. No, I don't even remember where it came from. Wasn't it the uh, uh, Far Side? Gary I think Larson, so, Far Side, yeah. the cat's yeah. trying to. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, I know how to spell dead, most likely. But Elizabeth is completely let down. Because the look on her face is this utter disappointment. It's like her heart sinks here. And I'm not sure if that's disappointment in Jack or is it disappointment in herself in a way because she let herself get kind of wooed at points by Jack. There's always this interplay in which Sparrow is kind of the loathsome and likable guy. Just when you think he's got or he's doing something wrong and you got a handle on and this guy's just going to be out for himself. Then he always kind of comes back and surprises you and does something for somebody else maybe even surprises himself but then you kind of question could a person of elizabeth's stature actually fall for jack no i don't think that that's the or is it just the life he leads the movie is setting up this thing yes i think that's would be more apt to put it it's the freedom But the movie has been setting the viewer up to question, does she still like Will or not? That's been the whole thing. And it's been putting an emotional tug at Will's heart because he's starting to see, like you know, he's seen some things that makes him question, like, what's going on here between these two? Yeah. That's the setup. I don't think she really could. She's more in love with the lifestyle. It's, It's kind of the classic thing. And this happens in real life. There's more of the... Some, you know, kind of the whole rescuer aspect of things or you're more in love with the lifestyle. That stuff happens. It happens in movies. It's almost like a cliche to some extent, I guess you could say. Yeah. But to see him abandoning the crew, it's like, okay, she can get that. But I think abandoning the Pearl, that's the line that can't be crossed. It's like, how are you abandoning the Pearl? This is your ship, let alone the crew. That's where he and him drawing the... Cracking away comes in play. It's possible, but God, I never really thought about it like that. I don't I don't believe it is just because if you look at his reaction while he's rowing away, it seems like he realizes this is just like unforgivable behavior. Yeah. The shifty eyes, he's looking around. Yeah. I mean, Anybody yeah, you, see me? Yeah, you can't say that maybe he's watching for the Kraken, but I think it's more about like this introspection. He's like reflecting on his own actions. Like the I've just done something. I shouldn't have done. It's the naughty, the self-preservation thing, which he's really good at. Yeah. And the whole idea, though, is that the Kraken is sometimes cited as a metaphor. You know, it's the the beast that lurks in the depths of the human mind. Well, here, I think that all connects because it's like the measure of a pirate happening right before our eyes. Measure of a sailor, measure of a captain. And then there's some stuff that he's really good at and other stuff he's so far... You know, he goes from one pole to the other. He swings an entire spectrum of I stuff. Think that's just Jack. Yeah, but that's what makes him interesting. That Most would, people that's don't what do that. Jack, Jack. That's what. Hey, Jack. That's what makes Jack Jack. There you go. Jack cubed. This is a show of cubes. <laughs> but that that is what makes him Jack. Is that he swings so far from one side to the other? Yeah. And maybe that's what makes him likable because you can never really. Ex- know what's going to happen. Well, in the past, I can't say this time because I have no clue. In the past... you've never he, seen I've never movies. seen the movie. In the past, he has started off doing something selfish. And then in the end, it comes off. He knows he's being selfish and being wrong. And he comes back to right the wrong. That's true. He does have in a the habit past, of doing that. Yeah, I can't say he's going to do it this time. But in the past, that's what's happened. That is his character motif. So it's almost his, he allows his instinct to take over. His instinct is, I got to get the hell out of here. Oh, yeah. Jack is a major flight person. But if, so I guess the question would be, in a lot of instances, Jack fleeing the scene has helped him survive. 
because I can see him doing that in most cases. But when it comes to things that truly matter, that's when he looks in on himself and says, okay, I'm going to go back and save Will and Elizabeth or I'm going to go take care of this or that, this or that. And that's why I say he's drawing the crack in a way. We can delude ourselves into thinking that, but <laughs> that's not the case. No. And and actually, since you brought up the Kraken, what did you actually think of the Kraken, the Kraken action in minute 127? I thought it was kind of cool how they had the Kraken, like, busting through the hull of the ship, you know, mm-hmm. with all his tentacles, you know. So I thought that was kind of cool. But it was a little, it's probably aged. CGI mm. is aged there. And it's not so smooth as the other Kraken in the last couple of minutes. Yeah. I like the lead up to the whole thing. It's you get the helicopter shot that flies over the Pearl to reveal Jack rowing his escape. But and then there's clearly something that's traveling underwater towards the Pearl that's creating this wake. Right. And maybe he then we get just that's when we see Jack. So maybe the Kraken's going underneath the hull. Of the ship. Is that what you're trying to make us think that it's coming after him? But then you're still on this. You're still trying to sell this idea that Jack is good or Eh. not selfish. But I think the whole shot is good. I think that's perfect. It brings up the tension. But where I'm slightly let down is the kind of symmetry of the attack because the tentacles pop up simultaneously. Yeah. They form this symmetrical attack structure maneuver. Uh, position, whatever I yeah. want to call it. And then they plunge through the hole at the same time. Okay. Yeah. I like them breaking into it. It's the symmetry of it doing it all at the same time. Because symmetry has its place. But with like a living creature, this is the shot that would have like almost greatly benefited from a little chaos. So uh, slightly yeah, staggering too, the yeah. tentacles. As well as the timing of when they actually penetrate the hull of the ship, that might have lent more credibility to the scene. But maybe it, that would have addressed your CGI, because then your maybe. eye wouldn't have been drawn to that. It would have been, it, it would have been off a little bit. So everything is kind of entering or moving at just slightly different times. But if you kind of think about it, if you were to grab from underneath on something, let's say the tentacles are your hands, you would grab with both hands at the same time. And you would think he'd be able to pull it down at that point in time. He would have pulled it down. Well, we've you seen him I mean? pull ships in half. And, and completely pull it down. He's got his, he's got complete hold of the ship at that point in well, time. Well, I think he's an angry Kraken right now. Well, yes, he got tentacles damaged. Yeah, so if anybody gets a cannonball to the tentacle, they know That's that not you're not good. happy with no. that. He's very angry with the he's pearl angry. at this moment. He's the angry Kraken. But as it stands now, though, when it comes up, okay, you're you're kind of likening it to human hands yeah. grasping something, yeah. which I can see. But from a squid kraken kind of thing, it comes off as a little rehearsed. And but now that I'm kind of thinking about it, I mean, I've seen squid like a grab stuff, and it kind of does move like that the way that it does underwater. It grabs something with everything. Yeah. But I don't know. Coming out of the water, it just seems so. I don't know what it is because it feels somewhat rehearsed. I, I And I don't know if it's just the look of it. Because now if it was discovered to be helmed by like Captain Nemo, and this was like some kind of mechanical steampunk beast, you know, then the symmetry would make sense to me. But a living creature, I'm just thinking that... It wouldn't have all every, its fingers. I don't know. It would have... I don't know. Something about it. I mean, if it was goes time. from attacking creature to calculating creature, maybe that's where I'm having the thing. And not that creatures aren't calculating. I mean, we see orcas and humpback whales and all these things that hunt and do crazy stuff. But I just feel that it tips the balance of what I would expect for my krakens. <laughs> In my kraken mind well, reality, it, it. I don't know if it would have felt like it moved like that. And actually, I should clarify. When I'm saying tentacles, I'm just... Referring to the arms of the Kraken, because I think they're actually called arms. And, and I'm assuming that this is squid-like beast. So squid have eight arms, and they have these two really long tentacles that are used for feeding. You've probably seen them. They kind of drag along. So what we're seeing here are the arms, technically. So the size of the Kraken, which would mean he's prehistoric, because nothing can no, live. Myth- well, mythology. Oh, what? Nothing can live that size. You know, prehistoric, everything was huge. Yeah. Okay. And the the one the creatures that lived were small. Yeah. For the most part. So you're kind of taking this to a dinosaur perspective. Yeah. 
So, but the more animals that were thought about attacking stuff were the smaller animals, the smaller dinosaurs. So we're right? if we're going to the like ocean, Tyrannosaurus Rex. He didn't hunt in pairs. I know what you're saying. He so even just... big ocean creatures, or even prehistoric ocean creatures, were huge. Yes. Not that there weren't small ones, but there were some monsters out there. Yeah. We've all seen the megalodons and things like that. Yeah. Chomp up a human in one small bite. You know. <laughs> so yeah, I could see a joke. Okay, I, I, I kind of follow you. So you're talking that this is a prehistoric squid. It's a precursor to the ones that survive today, like the colossal yeah. and the giant squid. But anything big didn't actually think about, you know... Like orchestrating an all-in-one. Well, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I don't. It From just what seems, we've seen on television, you know, it just seems too symmetrical for me. Yeah. Or maybe it throws off my eye. I don't know what it is, and I'm not saying that there's anything completely wrong with it. No. If something throws off my eye, but now that I think about it and seeing squid actually attack something, I mean, maybe it does make sense, and there's some reality behind it, but. It still throws off my eye, whether that's, say, reality or not. Maybe it should have, it could have helped from a movie perspective to if it's it. staggered. And maybe I'm the only one who's thinking that when I see it and everybody else is like, yeah, that well, looks right. I found it too CGI, so. Oh, we'll see. Then maybe we have, we both have different kind of things on it. But I, what I did like, because I don't want to crap on all that. Is that I do really like the chaos when the arms are wreaking havoc inside the ship. Oh, yeah. They grab somebody. It's pure crazy action. And it's like fire hoses just flailing all over the place. Yeah. That, I think, is perfect. Right. Because that's what I imagine. And maybe that's what I'm picturing. On the outside. On the outside. Yeah. Um, Not that it has to go crazy because it's trying to attack a ship. But I almost kind of get the idea that it is like rushing to grab something. And it... And mind you, this is a movie where it's trying to stick its tentacles through the ship to grab people. So that's a whole different ballgame, too, than if it just, like, rushed up on the ship like it was, you know, and and you see in some of the movies and just grab it, where things would not be symmetrical. So that's maybe part of it. Well, yeah, because all the arms go in at about about the same height. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Whereas you would think... that Maybe that's what it is. You would think some would go up on the deck and some would go higher and lower. Yeah. And not so... All at the same area. Yeah. That's something about it is throwing my eye off. Yeah. And that's all I have to say. That's it. That's all I have to say about that. It's <laughs> my Forrest, the best Forrest Gump I got in me right there. Now, if you go back to that scene where the Kraken is approaching the Black Pearl. Yeah. You could actually see through the Black Pearl at that point in time through the gun points. Oh, yeah, you could. It's kind of a neat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you can't see through it. You see yeah. the sky through it. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Actually. That's when you really notice that it doesn't have all the gun port action like the Flying Dutchman does. Yeah. You can really see that. Because its ports are still open. You can see all the way through. And then I was uh, at the last kind of part of the minute. So the Kraken's doing its thing beneath the deck. And then you have people up top turning the capstan. Yeah. And I just was like, what is that? Because it's, it's something that's really serious. It's a real serious moment here. Because I spotted in this very last second of minute 127, this guy is up on the rail, pirate up on the rail, in the background, behind the, the crew, okay, turning that capstan. And you see the pirate boots he's wearing. And I have to tell you, these things are the size of bell bottoms. I mean, top the top on them is, is really serious. I mean, it's bell bottom boot action up here. And it's not like the typical buccaneer boot. You know, that has the fold down leather topper kind of thing. I mean, okay, it is that. That's what it is. So I don't want to like say that it's not that. It's not like this guy just put some bell bottoms on his boots. But I mean, it, it's over the top is what I have to say. It really is over the top because they have this incredible bell shape to them. And then it extends around the top of the boot like an Elizabethan collar for dogs. And and I hope everybody knows what I'm talking about out there. It's like the cone, the cone of you put on a dog, the cone of shame. Cone of shame. And... That's what it looks like. And then I was like, yeah, it looks ridiculous at that point because it really is ginormous. Yeah. And then I started, and this is the stuff that just gets me. Now I find myself going, I got to find out the history of boots (laughs) relating to pirates. And all of a sudden I'm down a damn rabbit hole that from fashion to general wear of boots. (laughs) And so... Find out that in the first half of the 17th century, the the boot became kind of this article of high fashion for men. 
especially between 1625 and 1650. And that's when boots were worn on all occasions. Indoors, outdoors, to bed probably. <laughs> they were just everywhere. It was really uncomfortable. Maybe that's where the movie They Died With Their Boots On came from. But anyways, they were made of soft leather and they had this high kind of funnel top which covered the knee for riding. And so for town wear, you know, you're, you're out there riding, right? You have them up over your knee. They fold up. But when you're in oh, town, you fold them down. You fold them down, and or that when gives, it's a little too warm, or when you're got hot knees, you're like, "It's way too hot. I'm getting leather <laughs> chafing on my knees." You say, "I'm going to turn these suckers down," and so it creates the open bucket top, which is characteristic of cavalier boots and cavalier dress and riding soldiers and that kind of stuff. So. Because the weight of this top caused the boot to sag too, increases across the calf and the ankle and all this kind of stuff. But the cuff, cup, it's not a cup, it's a cuff, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Although they could store cups in those things because there was a lot of room, especially in this guy's. He probably had all kinds of stuff. He probably had a change of clothes in there. That's how big these were. But essentially the cuff became a component of a boot to cover the knee. And then it was simply turned down when they were in town. It's like, I got to turn my uh, boots down. I'm getting to town. So that's what I thought was interesting. And there was so much other like fashion notes and all this other stuff that I thought, do I really need to deep dive in boots? Yeah. And I, I said, no, I didn't. I didn't actually need to deep dive in boots. But you did. But I didn't because then I caught my eye freaking wandering. And I'm all of a sudden I'm on damn bandanas and kerchiefs. I'm like, How? what the hell? Because there's handkerchiefs and bandanas on all these pirates turning the capstan right and yeah. they're just in general and so i started going well if i'm talking boots that's what i want heather's showing me a picture of these pirate boots in here but yeah that's what it is these bucket top boots basically and it's crazy especially when they're when they and it's not that they were just laying like flat against the boot these ones were actually creating these giant Bell bells because they didn't hang flat but anyways, then there was some other, they didn't have cuts in it probably to, to allow it to do that. But anyways, like I said, I ended up on bandanas and kerchiefs. And that was a wild history ride. It's like, when did these things just appear and what happened? And do I really need to deep dive into tease out the facts? I mean, that could be an entire show just on bandanas. And I thought, what the hell is going on here? But it was some interesting stuff. And all of a sudden I'm realizing that now on a Sunday... I'm reading about, I'm supposed to be doing pirate stuff, but instead I'm talking pirate boots and bandanas. And I thought, what kind of pirate am I? So what kind of information did you find on bandanas? Well, it seems, and it's actually some interesting stuff that's historical. This is like our history episode for some reason. Maybe because there's so much action, we're just like delved into history <laughs> as opposed to talking about the action on the show. But it seems the black handkerchief, or black neckerchief, one? the neckerchief, should call oh, it. Oh, okay. like It uh, was black. Yeah. Because, or you could call it a bandana. But it first appeared in the 16th century, and it was actually utilized, which it is today, too. It's like a sweatband and a collar enclosure. Because the black, say what, it well, okay, I said it was black because that was a predominant color. But it was practical, and it did not really kind of show dirt. So Just so sweat lines. It would have a sweat line, especially if you're at sea. It would probably turn white with yeah. lines. So maybe it wasn't quite practical. No. Maybe they needed like an ivory color. Darker ivory. I don't know what's going on here. I'm not going to go back. So don't make me deep dive on that. But it's rumored that sailors began wearing a black colored kerchief as a sign of mourning after the English Admiral Lord Nelson was killed in the Battle of Trafalgar. Oh, really? Almost messed that up. Famous naval battle. However, it that really is just like an old sailor's myth is there's really no truth to it. And it was actually um, so the, the idea that it wasn't really something that was designed for mourning or a sign of mourning. That was just. Something that popped up as a myth. But as far as modern bandanas go, there was this thing. Perhaps you heard of it. It was like the American Revolution that happened. And Martha Washington, perhaps you know her too. She was really integral because she was married to George Washington. Never heard of her. I know you haven't, but probably most people out there have. She was the wife of Continental Army General George Washington. Later becomes first president. There you go. That's all connected. But she... There was this like idea of a souvenir banner made featuring the likeness of this commander in chief. Okay. So the idea came to her when she met a printmaker by the name of John Hooson. 
And Hewson was a talented artist, and more importantly, he wasn't afraid to kind of give the finger to the British ban on textile printing at the time. You know, British with their rules, we're Americans, we're not going to take it, we can just shove it, tea party action. He thought, you know what, I'm going to print on textiles, I'll show them bastards. And so... He does this thing. And so he designed a bandana of her husband on a horseback decorated with cannons, flags, and a ring of promotional text highlighting Washington's dedication to liberty and American independence. And that's how bandana kind of got its, or what we would call the, how bandana became kind of the first modern. This would be like the first modern interpretation of what we would think of as a bandana. So it was there in the 16th century it started up and pirates started to wear it and those kinds of things around their necks. And some of it was around sailors' collars because their collars were stiff to keep their neck from rubbing on it. But it's like a giant, like I said, I could go down into a whole episode of just the freaking bandana. But it was interesting that had a pirate kind of reference. It gets into the 1700s with George Washington. So there we go. Independence, bandanas. Oh, yeah. Pirates will prevail Finally we've conquered death All our worries gone Every night our souls will rest Till the break of dawn And the ship sails on Back into beyond Over again When I sing the song This is my home Until the end Centuries across the sea There's not enough for me All I want is to be free And hail Captain Blood On and on eternally So I kind of wanted to circle back as I'm just contemplating. It's, it's, you know, handkerchiefs, bandanas, boots. You You know, what am I going to do? There's Pirates of the Caribbean fake news. We're getting all this stuff out there. You wanted to circle back on Jack luring the the Kraken away? No, I didn't want that crazy theory. (laughs) But... As I was doing all of this stuff and this research, you know the one thing that kept popping up on news feeds and stuff? Freaking coronavirus. It's everywhere now, you know? Everything is coronavirus. And besides death from the Kraken on the high seas, I was thinking about diseases aboard ships, because this is how my crazy mind works. I'm like, oh, coronavirus. Oh, I wonder what was going on with sailors in the day with this kind of stuff. All those peeps on the cruise ships, too, you know, stuck there. I thought, yeah, I'm going to go down the realm of scurvy. You know, who doesn't think of scurvy when you're talking scurvy cruise ships? Scurvy pirate. So it's a disease caused by vitamin C deficiency. And I think probably yeah. most pirates out there know that. And that includes bleeding gums and opening of previously healed wounds. Sounds pleasant. Lovely, I should say. It really was the killer of malnourished sailors in the day. At least until the end of the 18th century, okay? So while perusing the mighty internet, that magical beast out there with information, I came across some truly horrific accounts of scurvy, but then I decided... Nah, I don't want to go down that road. But with disease on everybody's mind, I thought, come on, I do need to address scurvy. What would be somewhat appropriate to to bring as a disease? And so I thought, okay, let's do this. So it is estimated to have killed more than 2 million sailors between the time of Columbus' transatlantic voyage and the rise of steam engines in the mid-19th century. Really? Yeah, 2 million people. And the problem was so common that ship owners and governments assumed a 50% death rate from scurvy for Jeez. their sailors on major voyages. 50 freaking percent. That's I crazy. I thought that was incredible. And according to historian Stephen Bone, scurvy was responsible for more deaths at sea than storms, shipwrecks, combat, and all other diseases combined. In fact, scurvy was so devastating that the search for a cure became what Bone describes as a vital factor determining the destiny of nations. That is a powerful quote. A vital factor in determining the destiny of nations just to yeah, try and find a freaking cure crazy. for this Jeez. stuff. Yeah. And then, this is where it goes haywire. And I only brought a part of it because I, as much as I didn't want to bring stuff because it was really stuff, you know, kind of gruesome, I did yeah. bring a small portion of it just in case those uh, people wanted to hear it out there. Then you can find the rest of it later. But he quotes a survival story written by an unknown surgeon on a 16th century English voyage that reveals the horror of the disease. And it says, It rotted all my gums, which gave out a black and putrid blood. My thighs and lower legs were black and gangrenous, and I was forced to use my knife each day to cut into the flesh in order to release this black and foul blood. God. Yeah. That's nasty. Black and foul blood. Come on. Now that's an ending. 
that's how you end a damn podcast. Black and foul blood, and pun intended for the show and those poor sailor pirate souls. But I think after all this time, it's not too soon. You, you can't. I can't be labeled as talking about this too soon because it's it's hundreds of years ago. Yeah. But man, black and foul blood. That's awful. It's like uh, the the outro, you know, Captain Blood. Hail Captain Blood. There we go. Hail Black and Foul Blood. So thanks for listening, Scallywags, to our Black and Foul Blood podcast and all the other stuff that we talked about. Because if you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us grow the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlshow.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook, our Facebook listeners crew, and on Twitter. All the links are on blackpearlshow.com. It is that freaking easy. And of course, you know what we're doing here. We're delivering Pirates of the Caribbean info to the masses as the dirty, freaking, filthy bilgewats we are analyzing, scrutinizing, and plundering. So until then, Scallywags, let's keep the horns swoggling, and by God, keep that scurvy to a minimum. So drink up your screwdrivers. You know that's how you get vitamin C in your daily life. <laughs> screwdrivers. Have a screwdriver. Across the sea is not enough for me. All I want is to be free and hail Captain Blood. On and on eternally. What life of piracy. Hail the curse of Gilmanky and hail Captain Blood. Hail Captain Blood. Listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, Scallywags. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun, I think all you dirty, filthy bilgeats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music, that's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, maybe Heather. This is a Shoutreach Media Production.